Welcome to Solutions OP Clinical Trials Podcast. My name is Olga and I'm the Managing Director of Solutions OP. We are a small team of experienced professionals working on clinical trials in the United Kingdom. I'll use our podcast to discuss hot topics in clinical trials and provide analysis of the latest trends and challenges in pharma and medical device industries, not just in the UK, but globally. Thank you for listening. Welcome to the latest episode uh, in our podcast. Today we'll discuss why less patients participate in clinical trials. And uh, more importantly, we'll discuss how we can increase patients' participation in clinical trials. Uh, so if you have listened to the previous episode where we um, uh, talked about uh, why there were less clinical trials in the UK, uh, I've mentioned uh, a report from October 2022 from the Association for the British Pharmaceutical Industry, uh, which mentions that the recruitment in clinical trials has dropped with 44% in 2021. Now, that, that's a, a really big drop, considering that generally we don't have so many patients participating in clinical trials anyway. Uh, but before we, we talk about it, um, I want to say a few words. Um, why do we need patients to participate in clinical trials? And uh, just to show uh, clearly <laughs> how important this is, let's uh, for a moment uh, imagine that we don't have any patients participating in clinical trials, just people don't participate in them. What will be the consequences of such thing? Well, basically, the whole drug development process will be put on hold because in order to have drugs on the market and medical devices on the market, you need patients to participate in clinical trials. You need to have data from real patients who have been treated and who have used the device. So that's really important. You cannot have drug development. You cannot have any progress in medicine if patients are not involved in research. And uh, uh, this is why it's a very hot topic uh, uh, by many countries and regulatory agencies. They want to stimulate more patients to participate in research. Uh, And it's not just because of the drug development process, really. It's because they can benefit from participating in research. Uh, Many patients who have rare diseases and there are no standard of care treatment, uh, they can participate in clinical trials and access treatment for their uh, indication, which is not available on the market. So there is still something for them that might benefit them. Uh, And uh, it's important that we are able to reach out to patients and make sure they're aware of, of these opportunities that they have uh, for their condition. Uh, So um, the next uh, thing I wanted to talk about is uh, just to give you a little bit of uh, statistics on um, patients' recruitment in clinical trials. Um, According to a publication from 2021 from the American Society of Clinical Oncology, uh, only 6.3% of the patients in the United States participate in clinical trial, and we're talking about oncology patients. So as you can imagine, this is a, a very low number, but actually it's a lot lower than that. Uh, 
Because the reality is, in, in many cases, you have one patient participating in multiple clinical trials. <laughs> what happens normally is they participate in one study and uh, they have positive outcome. Uh, they feel better from the treatment or even uh, better just for or getting more attention and being followed up more closely. So they have positive experience from this uh, this study and then they want to participate in another study, uh, which is perfectly fine as long as they're eligible and it could uh, you know, benefit their, uh, their condition. Of course, they can continue in another study. But that means that even probably less patients in reality participate in clinical trials because these patients tend to be the ones that participate in multiple studies, not just in one study. Uh, so according to a, a, a data uh, which was collected from the United States from a study called HINS-5, only 9% of the patients in United States have been approached and invited to participate in clinical trials. And that's very low. It's extremely low. And I would imagine in, in many countries, it, this percentage is even lower. So that's a... Uh, that's not a great thing. And um, it is important that we take some steps and, and help people understand the importance of research and make sure that they use any treatment opportunities uh, for their medical conditions which are out there for them. Uh, so let's uh, uh, talk about, uh, however, uh, a little bit about the reasons. Uh, what could be the reasons for, for that low participation in clinical trials. So one of the, the, the reasons is the historical, really, issues, uh, like their prejudice, lots of prejudice against research. Uh, people thinking that, you know, it, when they hear experimental, something is experimental, they automatically consider it as unsafe. And also, you know, sometimes they just see it as, you know, patients are guinea pigs in clinical trials, which is, I can assure you, it's not the case. Uh, the reality is, in patient, uh, for patients who participate in clinical trials, they're really, really serious uh, overseas of patient safety. And uh, it's not just regulatory requirement, but companies are really motivated to make sure that everything goes well, nothing happens to the patients. And, you know, they have positive experience from, from their participation. So still, you know, these, these prejudices, they still exist. Um, another thing is uh, probably the skepticism to ev everything which is new. There is some fear, let's say, or even uncertainty because, you, you know, they invite you to participate in a clinical trial, but you've never heard of this drug before or this medical device before. So you're kind of uncertain, would that be safe? Can I just not use what is available already and what everyone else is using? You know, people tend to be more scared when they don't know anything about it. You know, they, they can probably picture all the, <laughs> the worst fears uh, when it comes to something new that they, they don't really know uh, uh, well about it. <clears throat> Another... Uh, Another important factor uh, was a COVID-19 effect on mental health. Uh, and uh, 
you can see even today in many countries where there are no restrictions, if someone sneezes, everyone automatically like moves away from them. <laughs> so, uh, and uh, this is not just. Uh, uh, I know it it's probably sounds funny, but uh, it, it's not uh, uh, something that we can overcome easily. It's a mental health issue. And I think during these um, uh, periods of the lockdowns, um, uh, it added additional fear to people. And many patients are still not comfortable going regularly to hospitals. And they'll rather go if it's really necessary rather than going for routine checkups and and things and participating in clinical trials actually would uh, mean that they need to go there regularly not just you know when they feel like going <laughs> so uh, that definitely uh, uh, affected participation and i still think uh, still many many uh, clinical trials are not recruiting probably as they would uh, in the past uh, simply because of this uh, people are still more or less reluctant to, to go to the hospitals. Uh, and uh, another uh, complication uh, was uh, actually the lockdowns that we had. Uh, because during the lockdowns, many people did not attend their appointments uh, and uh, did not have the, the health care that they would normally have if there was no lockdown. And as a result, many patients are a lot sicker and they need urgent intervention. So what happens is if you have a patient coming to clinic and that patient needs something to be done to them urgently, you cannot put them in a clinical trial because putting patient in a clinical trial takes time. They need to go through informed consent process. They need to have some tests in advance before they can be considered, you know, and, and enrolled. And that could take time. So if you have patients who are sicker, of course, you try and put them on whatever you have, start them as quickly as you can and not delay them with any minute because this could affect their outcome. Uh, so that's, that's another thing uh, which is uh, affecting uh, definitely clinical trials at the moment and enrollment rates. Uh, and if you uh, think about it, it it's not uh, something that's happening in the UK. I've been talking to colleagues and it's a similar situation in the United States and even in China. Uh, I've been told that even Chinese sites who are really top recruiting ones uh, are not recruiting that many patients uh, because there's still patients reluctant to, to go to clinic and, and have you know, medical tests regularly and so on. So it is affecting all patients. It's not just, uh, uh, it's not an issue for UK or for USA or, um, uh, you know, specific country. Another uh, uh, thing I would like to talk about is the, the treatment waiting lists. So that's another factor which is affecting participation in clinical trials. So basically, uh, these waiting lists were really worsened during COVID. Uh, according to the British Medical Association, as of December 2022, um, 7.2 million people are waiting for treatment, um, which is as a result of cancellations during COVID-19. But also, it was a previous backlog which existed 
long before COVID-19. Uh, so we need to be honest about that one too. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, this is also something which affects recruitment because if patients are waiting for procedures and waiting to be diagnosed, you know, they will be diagnosed later in their disease. There might not be a, a suitable clinical trial for them to participate. And, uh, you know, they will have overall limited treatment options just because they've been diagnosed too late uh, in their disease. And uh, uh, these are serious issues uh, uh, that need to be addressed by the healthcare system, uh, but they inevitably um, affect the clinical trials recruitment. And uh, another uh, important factor um, is uh, that very often there are logistical issues with clinical trials. So let's say you have a patient who is on a medical device study uh, and, you know, they need to have an implant. It's fair enough. They'll have their initial visit uh, and then they'll go for a procedure and then they'll go for another two or three appointments just for follow-up to see how they're doing. But if patient is participating in oncology clinical trial, for example, with a chemotherapy drug, then they may need to go to clinic every week for safety bloods. And that's a lot. It's a big commitment for, from patients, you know, to be able to attend all their visits uh, as it's required per clinical trial. Uh, and, uh, you know, if the patients live far away and there's no hospital nearby that is doing the clinical trial, you know, it's a lot more complicated for them to travel. They might not feel fit to travel all the time. Or, you know, it could be just they feel overwhelmed and anxious. So that will uh, also affect patients' uh, participation rate in, in clinical trials. Uh, and at the end, um, uh, let's say uh, a few words on how we can improve recruitment in clinical trials. And uh, I think this is a very, very interesting and important topic that everyone needs to um, think about. My personal view is the best way to improve recruitment is patient advocacy and patient education. We need to help people understand what are the risks and benefits in participating in clinical trials. We need to empower them to make decisions if they want to participate in a clinical trial or not. And um, I will give a specific example from, from my past experience, so I'm not just saying things like that. In the past, I used to work on a, a dialysis study. It was a number of years ago. And I remember in one of the hospitals here in the UK, when I went on a, my monitoring visit, they had quite a lot of African-Caribbean patients participating in the study. And I thought that's quite strange because normally uh, that patient population could be um, a bit skeptical towards research. So they might not be the ones that will step forward and participate uh, in research. So having so many patients, that was so weird. And I went and asked the nurses and I said, how did you do that? And, uh, and they laughed and said, oh, Actually, we have this African-Caribbean lady who is our patient, dialysis patient, for many years. And we decided to invite her for a clinical trial. Well, she was a bit reluctant at the beginning, but she said, OK, I'll give it a go and see how it works. And if I don't like it, you know, I can 
just uh, discontinue. So she started apparently on the clinical trial and, and she really enjoyed it because the, the study was not about her dialysis, but it was more about uh, comorbidity and reducing her risks of, of cardiac uh, complications. And she really enjoyed the, the fact that she had frequent visits, she was seen more often by a doctor, she was monitored a lot closely how she's doing, and she felt that her condition is managed a lot better. So she had a very positive experience with the clinical trial and a very good relationship with the nurses and the team there. And this patient, she apparently was very... Um, chatty and uh, charismatic person and she start talking to other patients who come to dialysis clinic and convince them to step forward and participate in this study because she was giving them example with herself you know how she get benefit from it and uh, and this is how they actually had five extra patients who went there to the nurses and, and said, well, I'm interested to participate in this study. Can you find out if I can do it? Uh, and it was a, a really amazing story. And I, I was really glad to, to see, you know, uh, such a, a wonderful example of patient advocacy. You have an influencer because basically this lady was an influencer who can you know, speak to people, explain to them what's happening with the research and the study. And that makes it a, a little bit less scarier for patients. And they feel a bit more comfortable because they know someone who's already doing it and they know it's working for that person. So they're willing to, to take the risk and see if it will work for them. Uh, and uh, now if you're a medical device company, you're probably thinking, oh, well, that's very good, but that's for medicinal products. So for me, let's say I have implantable device. I am only interested in surgeons, right? Um, but patients cannot help me. Uh, why would I work with patient groups and, uh, and other organizations? Well, imagine for a moment you have your device, uh, and your device has all the clinical data and all the technical data and has a feedback from patients. Let's say that 60% of the patients had positive experience. They had a quick recovery after the surgery and uh, um, they didn't have any complications. So they were quite happy to participate. And you have on the other side, another s device which has all the clinical data and all the technical data and no patient feedback. So which one do you think the surgeon will pick? Well, the surgeons are not robots. They're human beings. They're influenced by what their patients say as well. So they would want to have something which not just help patients medically, but will make them feel positive and happier from their procedure. So automatically, I believe the surgeon will be more interested to, to hear about the device that has a positive feedback from patients as well, not just having all the data and all the technical things. So this is something that I, I believe all companies should do, and it will not just 
uh, improve recruitment in their clinical trials, but it could help them later on in their marketing. Um, once you have a phase two or phase three study and you have a drug, you know, sometimes some of the medicinal products are approved for different indications and it's the same with medical devices. Reach out to patients' groups, work with them, you know, create some trainings and webinars for the medical condition. Also, tell them about your products. Uh, tell them about the risks and benefits, even if, you know, uh, they need to make a decision one day if they want to participate, at least they'll be familiar. And if they have heard of your drug or your device, it will make a big difference for them when they have to make a decision because it's no longer something unknown. It's no longer uh, something that, uh, you know, it's scary. They know about it. They know their risks and they know their benefits and they know what to kind of expect as a general picture. So I think this is a, a very good uh, uh, finish uh, uh, for our uh, podcast today. And thank you very much for listening.